Welcome back to These Amazing Places podcast. This is Adam. And this is Doug. And this week we're going to be covering Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, as promised in last week's show. And uh, we're going to cover probably its two most favorite implanted citizens, which were uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright. As always, you can check us out at www.theseamazingplaces.com. Submit your uh, podcast requests or locations through our website on our contact page and also check us out on itunes and now these amazing places listener feedback special thanks this week goes out to dave in buxton north carolina he wrote in saying that he volunteers at the graveyard of the atlantic museum and we visited there signed the guest book and put down our website just to see if anyone would check it out uh he wrote in and said he listened to our last podcast and thought it was very insightful and entertaining and dave went on to comment that if you go to visit hatteras you will definitely get stuck there coming back year after year because it's just such a great place of relaxing and um, quite, uh, he encouraged everyone and us to go out and check it out for the history of the island to learn more. As always, if you want to submit comments to us, just go to theseamazingplaces.com, click on the contact page, fill out the information, and we'll definitely say something on the air. Okay, uh, as previously mentioned, we're going to be covering a Kitty Hawk, and uh, with Kitty Hawk, Adam was just recently there, and uh, I think I gave this information in the last show, but I'll give it again. Kitty Hawk is actually in Dare County, uh, North Carolina. It's a very small area uh, with a population of only 2,991 people. Uh, its most famous uh, occurrence uh, that's happened there were the uh, flights of the Wright brothers, and uh, Let's cover a little bit, Adam, of, of why uh, the Wright brothers ended up there. Many people know there's kind of a rivalry there between states, between Ohio, where we happen to live, and North Carolina. Now, to us, we kind of discussed that uh, the rivalry, whatever, it doesn't really exist. It's not like it's some sports thing. But um, both of them have kind of uh, adopted the, the Wright brothers as theirs. So instead of us just covering what the Wright brothers did in Dayton, Ohio, with their flights, we're going to try to cover a little more of what they did and why they did it in uh, Kitty Hawk. So, uh, Adam, uh, just share a little bit of that stuff with us from what you found out. When we were there listening to the lady talk about the history of the Wright brothers and their choices, around this time, it was really a time of development and technology, and a lot of people were trying to get man's first powered flight off the ground and going. And there were different... um, books that I forget the guys that they were looking at but the Wright brothers used a lot of different books that guys had written there was a German guy they used that had some different ideas Um, but it it really was a you know the press was very highly looking for things you know how do I want to say looking for stories they were looking for stories and so it was a crazy time of like oh we're trying to invent this thing but at the same time the press is knocking on our door and they want to you know, publish it. So it's better than them, you know, tackling Britney Spears and her latest breakdown, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is actually pretty good news. Seriously. <laughs> so you know, obviously, the Chicago being the windy city that it, you know, it's named, that would be the first location that they would try to go to. Well, unfortunately, Chicago is a huge city, and the press is like crazy there. So that being the number one city, it ended up after all this searching and looking through, um, they couldn't do their tests in Ohio. It's not windy enough there. 
They went to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, being the sixth windiest city at the time in the United States. Um, and I do want to mention also the current memorial and location is, in, is actually located in Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina. Um, basically, since this time, since the 19, 1902 and 1903, 1904, when they did these flights, um, it has become more developed, and they actually it's created a, this little town called Kill Devil Hills. So when you hear Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, it was Kitty Hawk at the time, but now if you look on a map, on like Google Maps or whatever, it's Kill Devil Hills, um, North Carolina. But it's very, very close to Kitty Hawk, so in fact, it's probably like two miles. So just to give you a little history on that. Okay, now, and they had done several flights in Ohio prior to that, but the difference was as many of those flights, most, I believe, were done... Uh, Without power, they were done on gliders. Yes, definitely. Okay. And so their reason for going to Kitty Hawk really was uh, was to start to work with uh, powered aircraft. Yes, they did some tests with some kites and gliders in North Carolina, and in fact, it was quite. The, I wish I could show you the video that we were we saw. What happens is two guys are on the ends of the wings and they run with a string attached to the glider, and the man power at the time they created it where the the pilot had to lay down to steer the gliding but that's how they initiated their test to start off um with just two guys pulling the plane and then they let it go and that so was kind of like a kite yeah exactly interesting and it was amazing to me just a little comment here how technical these guys were you know they were bicycle shop owners or whatever but they really did use their science and their brains to come up with ways they didn't just throw together some wood and say, oh, there we go. They actually went through some tests. And, and they really did, yeah. Up. They took their time through uh, through process of elimination by using gliders and working out how the craft would actually steer and how it would function uh, and weight, uh, stuff like that, before they actually decided then to try to put the motor on it. And I think that that was, that was their idea all along, of, of course, to go to powered flight. But they actually took the time to work out first just getting the flight down and then attaching power. Um, okay, Adam, I've got here, too. Let's see here. They went to Kitty Hawk uh, in 1900, uh, but their first successful flight wasn't until 1903. December 17th, uh, 1903 was their first successful powered flight. Yep. And they spoke to that um Basically, this was interesting to me. You know, back in the time, they didn't have cars to just drive there. From where we were in Ohio to Kitty Hawk, it was probably a 12-hour drive. It actually took them nine days to travel to Kitty Hawk, twice by train and twice by, like, carriage and different things. How so, did they get the plane there? Um, did they, they had build to, it? Then? Yes, okay. they had to assemble it in Kitty Hawk. Um so I'm not sure if they brought the equipment with them, but if if you ever go to the memorial, there are actually two little, there's like a hangar and then there's like a living area that they have a replica of on site at the Wright Memorial, that they had to build those things because they knew that they needed to be comfortable before they began their testing. And they had to basically live there until they got everything, um, you know, assembled and tested out. So it was quite a long and lengthy uh you know, extension to just not couldn't just drive there 12 hours and carry it on a truck and then you're good. You know, this is back in 1900. So okay, now what? To you told me a story about a hill and the reason why they were there. Yeah, um, let's if, go ahead and go into that. Okay, if you go to the Wright Brothers Memorial um, location there, 
there is a big hill that the memorial sits on top of. It's called Kill Devil Hill, and that's the reason the, the little city town is called Kill Devil Hills. But originally when they started doing this, they used the hill to begin their tests on the gliding, and they're like, okay, well, it's windy here, and of course here's a hill to help us, so let's get on this and use it. Well, after some time, there was competition, of course, creating um, the planes and a man's first power to flight. So being that the Wright brothers were very... You know, they didn't want someone to say, oh, there's no way that you really did that. So they said, you know what? Let's forget the hill idea and let's just go down the hill and use the flat ground area so that we can actually say 100% we did create the flight because it was a lot of um, political people just that would just come up Kinda to like them now. and say, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like people second guess that we actually landed on the moon. It's the same exact way there. So they knew that was the concept, and um, the hill is still there, of course, and it's quite interesting. We You walk up the hill, and it's quite the hall um, to get up there, but it's the highest peak around that location. You uh, look but around, they would have had to pull that plane, and that was on a rail, not wheels, correct? Right. Uh-huh. So they, but they would have had to have pulled the plane after each flight or, or somehow got it back up the hill. Mm-hmm. Wow, so a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's the story there, and which in my mind is a, is a great, that's a great idea to be able to do it from scratch. Say we've completely done this by ourselves with no assistance of you know any earth hills or anything like that. Okay, and I see. Let's see here. I'm looking here at my notes. Uh, in 1903, they applied for a patent application, which means. By 1903, they must have known they were on to something to be able to apply, and it was granted in 1906. Yeah. So that kind of safely uh, protected their design for what they were doing, even though I think at the time the French were still trying to copy it. Uh, so, you know, as with now, the same things went on then. If somebody changes one bolt, then they can say, actually, they've changed the design. So. And that at the time, they, they mentioned this in the museum. If you go, um, it was great competition trying to get this grant. I, th- I believe at the time it was fifteen thousand wow. dollars, and um, in fact, I mean, you you read their flight wasn't nineteen oh four was when they did their flight or nineteen oh three, nineteen oh three nineteen four, and they didn't even get the money until two years later. And then, still at that time, there was even um, discussion of these other people who said, no, they didn't really do that, and it was. It was just a horrible time for them being, you know, as, as high as we hold them on a pedestal now as being the first guys to create man's powered flight. It was a horrible time for them. And I still don't think that they even got the the right um, compensation from money for what they did. They actually no, had I would to struggle say it probably through. became more of an obsession for them than it was for uh, money. And I think in their minds also, from what I've listened to the talks and stuff, they had the concept of we are here to help better man we're not here to make our millions or whatever you know it wasn't millions at the time but they're not they weren't selfish in their thinking and they were just thinking you know what this is something that will help us in the future let's try and work on it okay and i'm looking here at their first flight uh successful was 12 seconds and 120 feet the second one was, was still only 12 seconds but they went 175 feet so they obviously um picked up the power probably quite a bit as they became more comfortable with what they were doing. The third one, uh, third flight, successful flight was 15 seconds at 200 feet. So once again, they picked up the power quite a bit more because they weren't in the air much longer, but they traveled a lot longer distance, which had to be somewhat frightening. 
uh, you know, as you're picking up the speed, when you're going to hit the ground, you know it's going to hurt. Uh, and the fourth one, fourth successful one, was 59 seconds and 852 feet. And once again, if you go to the location, there are actually markers that say those things. They give you, actually, in physical distance, you can walk the distance to see the markers. In. So, yeah, it's quite I interesting. See here in the brochure that you've got First Flight Boulder, which must mark probably. Yep. The distance Each one of those is a boulder, and it has okay. a big number on it, and it tells you that. And there's a thing. And also, uh, kind of to go along the story, after they completed their fourth flight, they said, well, now that we've actually feel that we've done enough to create um, man's powered flight, we want to go to Kitty Hawk, which actually, now that I remember, I said a couple miles. It's four miles uh, to Kitty Hawk. And at the time, that they wanted to send a telegram to back to Ohio to let their family know, hey, you know, we did it. This is awesome. So in the midst of that, after the fourth flight, they went back into their little... Uh, home there and they were started to plan out okay let's fly there so that we can actually submit the telegram you know and not have to walk well in the in you know it's december it was kind of windy 32 degrees the wind caught the plane and just pummeled it over and over and it destroyed the plane and so they obviously had to walk to kitty hawk to deliver the telegram but since then the plane has been reconstructed um I'm not sure if it's all the 100%, um, all of the material that they use, like the actual stuff, but uh, I believe it's in the Smithsonian in Washington, right, D.C., right? Right, Space Museum. Yeah. There is a replica. There is actually two replicas of their fir- their plane that they created with the, with the um, propellers and everything and a glider at the Kitty Hawk um, Wright Brothers uh, Memorial here that we went to. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, and you know what, too? And they had plenty of times, uh, adverse times. One of them, though, that I kind of made a note of was uh, September 17, 1908. And I believe this was a demo flight for the military. Uh, I think it was uh, Orville that was flying the plane. And it was in Fort Myer, Virginia. And he crashed the plane, injuring himself but killing a passenger that he had with him who was just there as, a, as an observer. And many years later, they continued to find out that Orville had extensive uh, injuries to his own body, like a broken pelvis, a dislocated hip, many problems. But uh, even through that, he continued on to uh, uh, try to perfect perfect the plane, which, of course, they did. Thank goodness for us, they did. If you do go to the memorial, there are actually examples of today people trying these flights on the materials that the guys had. And it's quite... I mean, it's quite a crude um, way of flying, and it does, by the looks of it, it seems like if they take a good soft landing, it'll work out, and that's why they chose this sandy area here in North Carolina to do it. Um, but it's something you may not think about when you, you're riding your jetliner with a, you know, like yeah, where, your where it started. Little. You know, too, and I did read a little bit of a story uh, on Wikipedia about uh, how, uh, I think it was, I think it was Orville that died in 1948. I'm just kind of looking it up here as I'm sitting. Um, Anyway, I believe it was Orville. He died in 1948. And uh, one of the last things that happened to him was uh, Howard Hughes, who then at the time owned, uh, this was in 1940, he owned TWA. And he actually flew to Wright Field and uh, picked up uh, Orville and took him for a flight on a TWA jet. And so at that point, they said, you know, he had actually seen, Orville had seen the beginning, 
of uh, flight with himself and his brother and had gone as far as supersonic flight to that time by 1940 and then flying on that aircraft and I thought wow how incredible that had to have seemed to him uh, to, to see that expanse of time and the things that, that they had started and where it had gone to uh, also yet yeah, to before I stop um, it was uh, Wilbur then that died Wilbur died of uh, uh, in 1912 of typhoid fever so you know there's quite a span there of time when the two brothers were not together but you know I just think it's incredible the stuff that they achieved and uh, and where it's brought us to had they not done it where it's brought us to to this day is, is quite quite interesting and you know too if you really get a chance to go check this place out um, I recommend it just I was very interested in the science of things and I, I'm that kind of, I think that way and I really and history is somewhat of an interest to me and if you're in that kind of a mindset this is amazing to hear their story of what they did and how those two brothers just bicycle shop owners and what they used and really everything that the plane was made out of was bicycle materials yeah, yeah you can see it so, in some of the pictures if yeah. you look there were like bicycle sprockets and chains and uh-huh. stuff like that and they speak to that when they go through you know the memorial talk and everything and and it was just amazing to me i i do want to say this real quick even when they created the engine what they did is they wrote 10 car manufacturers at the time to say okay we need an engine that creates um this much horsepower and weighs less than 200 pounds well, at the time, everyone was like, ah, oh, we can't do that. We don't have time to deal with that. We can't do it. So they had to develop it themselves. And what came out of it was a more powerful engine, 12 horsepower is what they had. What they finally came up with, and 160 pounds is how much it weighed. And, and that engine was built within six weeks. Yeah. That's what I read. And yeah. it's those two guys, and they had a shop guy that was like a mechanic that kind of was learning things. and. Um, the between the three of them, um, but the, there were so many different details, even from the propeller, from the propeller, um, like angle on the propellers. At the time, there wasn't anything but what they could do with like boat propellers and things like that, and those had nothing to do with flight propellers. And anyway, there's a lot of stuff in there that I really encourage you to check out um, if you're near there or if you want to check it out and uh, get some more details on the Wright Brothers. Okay, and our audio clip for this week is going to be an actual ride on the plane with the Wright Brothers. Yes. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, that'd be cool, but uh, sorry, that would we be don't awesome. have that. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, let's see, our, our audio clip will be, it's from inside the museum, correct? Yes. Uh, and, and go ahead and tell everybody what that is. It's actually just, it was just a TV and a DVD player, and and it was inside like a makeshift hangar, which is kind of like the beginnings of their museum. Um, and it's concrete floor, and it's kind of echoey. But, uh, and there's also little kids kind of running around, you'll hear that. But honestly, this is just a, a film they created, I think, in the 90s of a guy explaining just kind of the the different things that the Wright brothers went through when they were creating things and how they developed their machine and uh, of their thoughts and stuff. So, Okay. Um, and before we go, we're going to actually just pay homage here to, uh, to a restaurant that Adam dearly loved while he was there. And uh, he actually brought this hot sauce back. It's called Striper's Chipotle Hot Sauce. And, and we probably could have left it out of the segment. But uh, I tasted the stuff. And it's so, it's so incredible that, uh, that I wanted to just throw it in here. And uh, so the restaurant's called what again, Adam? Well, the restaurant that we went to that we found it is called Chili Peppers. And in fact, it is 
is less than a mile from the Wright Brothers Memorial Museum. You just head, you turn left when you're coming out of the museum, and the name of the street is East Chowman, Chowan, East Chowan Street. It's a yellow building. It was by chance that we just happened to say, you know what? Our podcast is about these little hole-in-the-wall kind of places. Let's check it out. And it just so happened that I found this stuff. It was so amazing. And they, they sell their hot sauce $4 at a bottle, and it's really only like 12 fluid ounces or something. But seriously, this stuff is so, so amazing. It is probably... I like hot stuff, but this stuff has a flavor. It's hot, but it's got a flavor to it that is just so unique. And it's once again, it's a guy who created it 14 years ago. He started the restaurant, created this hot sauce, and he has two restaurants in the North Carolina area. But I encourage you to check it out if you're there around lunchtime or dinnertime. The restaurant was good. My dad had some of the freshest fish that he's ever had in his life um, there that they served. And it was actually steamed through like this... Japanese thing when we got it. it was, really? It was really, really See, good. I tried track. some. Okay. and All right, that was a sidetrack here. Sidetrack. So we're going to head off to the audio segment now, and everybody enjoy this a little bit. Wright Brothers were successful where others had failed. 
They took the complex problem of flight apart and reduced it to simpler problems and studied each problem one at a time. It wasn't until the last few days of Kitty Hawk that the Wright brothers decided to fly their machine as a rival. With Wilbur as the pilot, they made about a dozen runs down a sand And they were absolutely delighted to find that they could fly and they could land with both Wilbur and the machine in one piece. But the overall performance of the 1900 glider was disappointing. It hadn't produced the amount of lift that the Wright's calculations said it should. Now they wanted to build a new, bigger glider that would produce enough lift that the brothers could truly fly. The 1901 Wright Glider was more sophisticated and bigger than the 1900. The 1900 had only 165 square feet of wing area, but the 1901 had 290, almost double that of the 1900. The Wright brothers also made some big improvements in the elevator. They raised it off the sand so it wouldn't dig in when they landed. And they put skids under the elevator and under the belly of the machine to help them land. But the big improvement, or so they thought, was in the wing. The Wright brothers changed the camera or the curvature to match Lilienthal's earlier gliders. The 1901 Wright glider had a camera of one in 12. This meant for every 12 inches wide, the wing was one inch tall. The earlier rider, the 1900, just had a camera of one in 20. But this didn't work as well as the Wrights thought it would. In the first few glides of 1901, the Wright brothers found that their new wing didn't produce as much lift as their old wing. They would have liked to have gone back to their old wing, but ordinarily that would have meant completely rebuilding the glider, something they couldn't do out here in the middle of nowhere. So they came up with this ingenious trussing system. This post pushed down on the bottom line, and these cables pulled down on the top line. Together, they changed the curvature of both wings. In this way, the Wright brothers were able to salvage the glider and their 1901 flying season. change in camera, the 1901 glider did not produce the necessary or the predicted amount of lift. And if that were enough, there were other, more perplexing problems. The wing warping and the pitch control were much less effective. And the glider began to behave in new and dangerous ways. Wrights tried to turn left, it would slew around to the right. Clearly, there was something seriously wrong. The 1901 flying season ended with the Wrights thoroughly confused and depressed. The 1901 Wright Glider incorporated the sum total of all 19th century aeronautical knowledge. And still, it wasn't enough to produce a machine that flew well. It was a technological dead end, and the Wright brothers knew it. In order to make further progress, they would have to take a completely different tact and do some basic scientific research. Disappointing performance of the 1901 glider was a real wake-up call for the Wright brothers. Until now, they had depended upon the work of previous experimenters to help design their flying machines. But now, they 
began to suspect that they couldn't trust that work, especially the work relating to lift and drag. You see, when the Wright brothers had designed their gliders, they had carefully considered the shape of the wing. When the air rushes over a wing, it creates a force called lift. There has to be enough of this lift to support the weight of the aircraft and the pilot in flight. Different wing shapes create different amounts of lift. The wind produces another force. The friction of the air flowing over the wings and its pressure against the forward surfaces creates drag. The more the drag, the more energy is required to keep the airplane flying. The Wright brothers wanted an efficient wing shape, one that would produce lots of lift, but very little drag. The Wright brothers had designed their first two gliders using lift and drag tables they had found in books. The trouble was, their gliders didn't perform like these lift and drag tables said they should. They produced too little lift. You see, the Wright brothers were the first experimenters to actually measure the forces of lift and drag while their gliders were flying. They knew that these two forces acted perpendicular to one another. Lift raised the glider like this, and drag pulled on it from the side like that. Lift and drag were the legs of an invisible triangle in the air. Well, when they flew their glider as a kite, part of that triangle suddenly became visible. The tether rope, that was the hypotenuse of the lift-drag triangle. There is a special form of mathematics called trigonometry. And one of the amazing things you can do with trigonometry is you can find all the parts of the triangle, even if all you know are just two things about that triangle. Well, Wilbur and Orville could see the hypotenuse of the lift-drag triangle in the tether rope. So, with an ordinary spring scale like this, they measured the pull on that tether rope. And then with a clinometer, a surveyor's instrument that looks like this, they measured the angle of the tether rope. With those two pieces of information, the pull and the angle, they were able to find the lift and drag of their glider while it was flying. When they measured their lift and drag with the lift and drag in the tables, the numbers didn't add up. They began to suspect that they couldn't trust those tables. Wilbur and Orville were going to have to develop their own lift and drag tables. And to do this, they built three ingenious machines. And now for the wrap-up. Uh, okay, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that little uh, clip there from the Wright Brothers Museum. Yeah, it was really a fun time for my family and I to actually check it out. I did not mention this. We should mention this. Cost for 15 years and up, up is $4 a person at this memorial. And I have no clue why. We arrived at about 11.30 a.m. And for whatever reason, we drove through the gate and the guy goes, you know, we're not taking uh, money at this time. And I was like, what? So we got in for free. It was awesome. So <laughs> wow, okay, I don't know how the heck that happened, but maybe they just, it was five of us in a car and they pay per person. So you don't have to pay parking. It's just, they look at the car and say, yeah. So anyway, there's That's just cool. a side little note that yeah. I didn't even talk, talk to you about, but really, uh, we are going to cover some more things in the future. Probably some more Disney stuff as my Disney trip is Coming up Soon shortly, arriving. I yeah. am getting excited. Uh, we also have a friend that's a DVC member, Disney Vacation Club member, 
And Doug is also going to be traveling to some other locations around Ohio. And we also plan to hit the Dayton um, Wright Brother Memorial Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, because we are close enough that we can get some audio there. So hopefully we'll be back talking about the Wright Brothers once again. Okay, everybody, have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. See ya. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by theseamazingplaces.com. This podcast may not be redistributed or re-recorded without prior written consent from theseamazingplaces.com.